0: Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Happy Monday, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are watching me. From around the world, thank you for joining me for this week's teaching I am Krista Bontrager, I'm a Christian theologian and public apologist, and this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible and theological commentary on social issues. And I am live today and excited to bring you this part three of an extended teaching series that I have entitled Everyday Evangelism. So last week or last time, which was two weeks ago, I did a live teaching entitled, What is the Good News? And that was part one. And so today is going to be part two of that conversation where we are looking at and trying to define what the good news or the gospel really is. And I walked us through last time some key scriptures about what the good news was that Jesus was proclaiming during his earthly ministry. We saw how John the Baptist just kind of breaks it onto the scene and makes the startling announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand. And to the Jews, when they probably first heard this, it meant that the Messiah was about to come. Uh, the end of the age would be ushered in Rome would be overthrown And that they would soon have back their independence as a nation. That's likely what they heard when they heard John the Baptist start saying that the kingdom of God had come. Well, John then identified Jesus of Nazareth as that Messiah, that successor to David's throne. But Jesus was not exactly the Messiah they were looking for. He was a carpenter's son. He didn't organize an army. In fact, Jesus didn't even preach against the Romans or Roman government. Instead, the primary theme of Jesus's preaching or his proclamation was that he was the king who had brought a kingdom. Jesus's primary message was not about humanity's need for salvation or his substitutionary atonement or God's love for humanity. Although Jesus did talk about those ideas, they were not his main message. The main, most frequent message that Jesus proclaimed was that the kingdom of God had come. Now, the topics of his death and the father's love for us very important topics. And I would say that those fall under the umbrella of the kingdom of God, but this kingdom that Jesus proclaimed was the beginning of the effort to reverse the curse that was introduced to us back in Genesis chapter three. And Jesus was the King who had come to defeat sin, death and the devil and to create a new people from among the nations. We also did a brief survey of some key themes from Jesus's parables about the kingdom of God. We looked at two parables that Jesus's kingdom would start small and grow big and have a big outcome. Second, we saw that citizenship in the kingdom is to be highly prized and sought out actively. And third, we mentioned how many people who seem to be in the kingdom here on earth eventually get sorted out at judgment and get rejected by God as part of the judgment. And so they are not authentic citizens of the kingdom of God. But this, of course, means that the kingdom of God on earth will be a mixture of authentic citizens and hypocrites until the final judgment. Okay, so that's the recap of what we covered in part one. Today, we are going to pick it up with Jesus handing off the baton to the 12. Matthew and Luke record Jesus deputizing the 12 to send them out to do the same ministry he had been doing. So let's look at those scriptures together real quick. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter nine and around verse 35, and then we're going to work our way into chapter 10. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This is a review from last week and healing every disease and sickness. So we're noticing the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom of God. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now we're going to just migrate our way right into chapter 10. So we've just had a little summary there of Jesus's ministry. Now notice how Matthew's gospel just goes right into the next chapter into describing what Jesus does with the 12. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So immediately we notice here that he now deputizes the 12 to do the very same things he was doing just a few verses earlier. Okay. And that they now have authority. Remember last time we looked at the words power and authority. Well, he deputizes, he gives them a badge of authority to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. These are the names of the 12 apostles, Simon, who's called Peter And his brother, Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I want you to notice the colors that I've put here of the scriptures, and I've I've paired the 12 into six pairs. And I think based on some things that we're going to talk about in a few minutes here in Luke chapter 10, I think Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs and these were the pairs that he sent them out as. So Simon and Andrew, James and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, and the other James and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas. And so he sends them out in pairs as the 12 these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So the focus of their mission is going to be the Jews, which was also the focus of Jesus's mission. Now, occasionally Jesus will bump into people who are not Jewish and he extends compassion to to them as well, but they are not his primary audience. They're not his target. And he says, as you go, proclaim, there's that word again, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now we should take the cue as the reader. Oh, oh, The 12 are now being sent out to do the very same thing that Jesus was doing, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. All right. Now, Luke chapter nine preserves the very same account. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them. Here's the two words again, power and authority. So Jesus deputizes the 12. He gives them a badge and a gun with power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to what's he sending them out to do to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. They go from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So again, both Luke and Matthew wants us to see the proclamation and, and the demonstration of the kingdom of God, and that the 12 are doing the very same thing. When we get to Matthew chapter 11, we see that after he finished instructing the 12 disciples, then Jesus himself went out into the towns of Galilee. And during that time, John the Baptist was in prison and some of John's disciples come to him and ask, are you the one that we were expecting? Are you the Messiah? Because this isn't showing up the way that we thought it would. You we're not sure that you're the, the Messiah because you don't seem to be acting the way that we thought the Messiah would act. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. Now remember our words here. What has Jesus been doing? He's been demonstrating. The kingdom of God, and how is He be doing that? Healing the sick, and casting out demons. All right, so He says, look for the fruit of that: the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have lepros- leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So both Jesus and the twelve are proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And this was to be the cue to John the Baptist and his disciples that yes, in fact, Jesus was the Messiah. He was the king that they had been waiting for. So after Jesus sends out the 12 in pairs, deputizing them with power and authority, what's interesting to me is that then Luke adds an additional account where Jesus sends out 36 pairs of missionaries who also do the same work as Jesus and the 12. Let's read that account really quick here in Luke chapter 10. So this is right after Luke chapter nine, which we just read when Jesus sent out the 12. Now he's going to send out the 72, but he sends them out in pairs. So it's 36 pairs After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. So they were kind of going ahead of Jesus. Now, here's this saying again. We had this back in Matthew 9. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And then he gives them some instructions. You're going to go quickly. Don't take a lot of money. Stay with people. Look for people of peace. And when you go to a town and you're welcome to hear what you're supposed to do, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come near. It's the same message He deputizes these 72 with the same power and authority to heal the sick. We're also going to see that they cast out demons. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says in verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, but do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, so Jesus proclaims and demonstrates the kingdom of God has come. Then he deputizes the 12 with power and authority so that they also proclaim and demonstrate the the kingdom of God has come then he deputizes the 72 with power and authority that the kingdom of God has come. So we are supposed to, as readers understand that this ministry was not simply to be the ministry of Jesus. Rather it was to, this was the foundation of the church that he was preparing and training and teaching to be sent out after his death, burial and resurrection. After his resurrection, he prepares the 11 to continue this ministry. Let's look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 24. This is right after his resurrection. He meets the men on the road to Emmaus they rush back to the, to see the apostles in Jerusalem. So that's the context of, of this section. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It is. I myself touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. So Jesus is now appearing to the 11 after they've received the report from the men on the road to Emmaus. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have something to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And and in other words, everything in the old covenant was pointing forward to me and all of these things had to be fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, which is the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So keep in mind, this is the very end of Luke's gospel. We're going to read in a minute, the beginning of the book of Acts, the very first page, and you're going to hear echoes of this passage in Acts chapter one. But I want to draw your attention to the phraseology here. And this is Matthew's version of the great commission repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his, in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is starting to be the apostolic version of the good news. So, so far we've been seeing kind of the focus and emphasis of Jesus's version of the good news was on the, the healing, the demonstration, the proclamation that the king has come. Now, after his, his death, burial and resurrection, there is this added component of the forgiveness of sins and repentance from sins that starts to emerge as another key theme of the good news. Okay. And we're going to see that play out in the book of Acts. Now let's look at uh, Jesus instructions to the 11 in Matthew 28. So this is a, parallel passage to Luke 24 that we just looked at. And this is Matthew's version of the great commission. And really this is the core passage for this entire teaching series it comes from Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to begin to read at verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. This is all very parallel to Luke's account. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority. Notice that word. There's that word again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now with the resurrection, he has all authority. Remember back to last week when we talked about one of the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, and the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. And I suggested that maybe that was, he was offering him some kind of a shortcut. I don't know exactly what was happening there. But this passage now is telling us unequivocally where all the authority belongs. It all belongs to Jesus. And the word authority is a, is a word connection with, dem, connected to dominion. It's connected to ruling and reigning. It is what a king does. Uh, what is what a government does. All right. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here in the Greek, it, it has the connotation of now you go or as you are going. Therefore, and what are they to do? They are to make disciples of all the nations. So now he's telling them, you are going to replicate what I gave to you. The teaching I passed on to you, you will now teach others, all the nations, all the ethnos. Now, at this point, I'm not sure that the the 12 or the 11 were totally clear that Jesus was including the Gentiles in this, this sending out. But we have the seeds of that here, that this is what Jesus meant when he says, I'm, you are going to dis, to disciple those from every nation, every ethnos. Okay. And so he's sending them out to the nations to replicate what he has done and what he has taught them. All right, let's continue baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay. Lots to unpack here. So they are going to proclaim. They are going to proclaim the good news. They are going to go and make disciples. They are going to replicate what Jesus taught them to all the nations. They are going to baptize people, which we're going to see in the book of acts in just a minute. And they, they are going to teach them to keep all of Jesus's commands. This is what I alluded to last week. When I said that there are the, the laws of citizenship, when you come into being a citizen of a country you submit to their government or their King and all of their laws. Part of the great commission is proclaiming the gospel, but it's also discipleship and teaching those disciples to obey all of Jesus's commands. And then he ends it with, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a messianic reference that, the, the end of the age, the age to come was the age of the Messiah. And so he is saying, I am going to be with you all the way to the end. Okay, now we're going to turn the page again. And we're going to look at Acts chapter one, which records yet another post resurrection appearance. And we see that the apostles are still eager for the kingdom to come and for Rome to be overthrown. Uh, let's start at verse four and gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Okay. And we had an allusion to this back in Luke 24, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard of me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? They're still trying to figure out the messianic hope. And, you know, you haven't put together an army yet. We saw you die. Now you're alive again. Now are you going to overthrow Rome? They're still struggling with their messianic expectation, not fitting what Jesus is actually doing. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Okay. So there's that word again. Where is, does our power come from? It comes from when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. So again, go back and compare and contrast Luke 24, the end of Luke 24 with Acts chapter one. It's basically a repeat. Okay. All right. I want to pause for a second. We're going to collate all of our data so far. Not only did Jesus come to preach that he was the long awaited king, in the line of David and that he was establishing this invisible kingdom among the nations. And he did this with power and authority by proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God through compassion and healing and casting out demons and other miracles. But then he also deputized the 12 and the 72 to do the same. And then after his resurrection, he sends them out to continue this ministry of proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Now, what does this kind of ministry look like? All right, we're going to turn the page now to Acts chapter two, and we're going to see the first sermon uh, given by one of the uh, one of the 12 It's Peter's sermon on Pentecost, I don't have time to read the whole thing, so I just have selected a few verses. We're gonna get, start to get some of the details for how the apostles presented the good news. The first thing we see here is that we are in Jerusalem. He's preaching to a Jewish audience, arguably the same audience that Jesus presented to, okay? Then Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice. And addressed to the crowd, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. So his audience are Jews, those who live in Jerusalem, but also those who are there for the Feast of Pentecost. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In other words, you saw the miracles. You saw how God had placed his anointing and his hand on this person, Jesus of Nazareth. You saw the miracle signs and wonders. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate, deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the father, the promised Holy spirit And has poured out what you see and hear. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So what is he What is Peter saying here? Notice how he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. All right. And then he's saying he was crucified. He died and he was buried and he's brought back to life. And he's exalted at the right hand of God. In other words, now he is ruling and reigning. So this Messiah, Jesus, conquered death and is now king. All right. So this is his message. It's to recount historical events that happened as Jesus being the king, the long awaited Messiah. And now he is ruling and reigning over all the earth because of his, his being installed as the king at the right hand of God. And now the Holy Spirit has been poured out and something new is happening. The, the installation of the new covenant is happening. What was their response? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Okay, so what is the response that Peter says they must do. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the response that Peter calls them to. Now, Jews started placing their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, like 3,000 that day, okay? So in this sense, there is nothing more Jewish than to believe that Jesus was the one that Israel has always longed for, that he is the son of Abraham, the son of David, as it says in the very first verse of the New Testament. And we read that last time. What we see here is starting to be the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1-8, of Luke chapter 24, of Matthew 28-19, that the good news is going out to the nations by acts chapter eight. We see that the gospel is now spreading to Samaria, which is what Jesus predicted back in acts one eight. We see in acts chapter eight, the ministry of Philip. Now, Philip was not one of the 12. According to church tradition, Philip, the evangelist Uh, was sent out in Luke chapter 10. He was among the 72. So if that's true, according to church tradition, not saying tradition is infallible, but it's interesting to think about, then he would have been trained and deputized by Jesus to uh, proclaim and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God. And this would have included casting out demons, healing the sick and preaching the gospel. So let's read the account here of Acts chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. This is right after the, the martyrdom of Stephen. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Those who had been among those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Now notice the wording here. He proclaimed the Messiah there. So part of the good news of the New Testament is that they're proclaiming the Messiah. We're starting to to see what constitutes the good news in this early days of the church. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed. So notice he's performing signs just like Jesus, just like the twelve. They all paid close attention to what he said for with shrieks, impure spirits. That's another word for demons came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So notice the parallel language here. Philip, the evangelist is not one of the 12, possibly one of the 72. He goes out and he starts proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And then he he proclaims and then he demonstrates the good news of the kingdom of God. Verse 12: When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 15: They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and John laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we're starting to know some patterns. We're starting to get some repetition that there was proclamation, demonstration. Jesus is the Messiah. The kingdom of God has come. This is true for Samaritans, not just Jews. We're seeing healings. We're seeing casting out of demons. We're seeing people repent of their sins. We're seeing people get water baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. All of these things sort of cluster together as to what evangelism begins to look like in the book of Acts. Okay, let's keep turning the pages through the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 19. Now we see that the apostle Paul is popping on the scene. He is now a follower of Jesus and a convert to Christianity. And he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So he goes to Ephesus. Ephesus is a city. There's Jews there. And there's a lot of pagans there. Okay. He meets some people in Ephesus. And they only have had John's baptism. Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told people to what? Believe. Believe. This is the key word. This is how we come into the covenant. Believe in the one coming after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And notice here how the word "bapt" they were baptized is functioning as a shorthanded way of saying they believed and they they came into the kingdom. They became citizens. Something new had happened. Okay, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. It says in verse 11, he was able to heal the sick so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. Their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So I want you to notice how we have, we're supposed to as the reader now know, oh, the same Holy Spirit who was working through Jesus and the 12 and the 72 and Philip, the evangelist is now at work in Paul. Notice the parallels and how we have all of these details. Okay. And Luke is wanting us to know the same kingdom of God that Jesus was proclaiming. Paul is now proclaiming. So. I know this is a lot to take in, but I'm trying to draw your attention to some of these details. Now, one of the most important passages in the Bible is Acts chapter 10. You literally cannot understand a lot of the New Testament, including Ephesians, Romans, Galatians. If you do not understand What happened in Acts chapter 10? So I want to zoom in on that passage for a few minutes with you. Okay. Acts chapter 10 is one of the most important passages in the Bible. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, partial to the name Cornelius. It's my grandfather's name. He was a centurion, the Cornelius in the Bible, not my grandfather. So Cornelius was a centurion. In what was known as the Italian regiment, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius is what we call a God-fearing Gentile. He has some familiarity with the Hebrew God, but he is not a convert. He hasn't been circumcised. He's probably not observing the Sabbath, but he is considered a God-fearing Gentile okay the men replied we have come from cornelius the centurion he is a righteous and god-fearing man who's respected by all the jewish people so these men are sent from cornelius to peter now peter goes with them to cornelius's house cornelius answered three days ago i was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said cornelius God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Then Peter began to speak verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He does not show partiality, but he accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news. There's that word again, the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He's king of everything. He, Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Christ means. You know that he, what had happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. We saw that last week. Uh, We read those passages early in the gospels of Matthew and Luke and how he went around doing good news and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses. There's that word again. We keep seeing that of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Notice how we're again. Just like Peter did on Pentecost, we're rehearsing again, historical facts, historical things that happened, but God raised him from the dead. Another historical fact on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses. There's that word again, circle that whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We just read an account of Jesus eating with the 12 just a few minutes ago. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So not only is Jesus a king, he's also a judge. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that the apostolic version of the good news is now incorporating the death, burial and resurrection into their proclamation of the good news. Okay. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, the circumcised believers. In other words, the Jewish Christians who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And they believed and they were baptized with water and received the Holy Spirit. So now, all of the things that we saw in Pentecost back in Acts chapter two, we're starting to see here in this pivotal chapter that now even Gentiles can have the Holy Spirit, they can be water baptized the gospel, the good news can be proclaimed to them too, that Jesus is King and that he has come and, and that there is forgiveness of sins, all of those themes, all right? So I'm just going to pause for a minute and we're going to collate all of this data in just a minute, all right? But I, we've started to include some of the data that we're getting from Peter and from Paul. And I want to just take a quick minute to look at a few verses from the epistles, just so that we can make sure that what we're understanding, what the good news truly is as the church is growing in its early stages. Let's continue here. Let's go to Ephesians chapters one and then skip over to chapters two and three. It says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. Okay, this mystery, this is a word you need to circle in your Bible. This is a very important word in the book of Ephesians to know what this mystery is. It was a mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Messiah to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus Messiah. What is this mystery? And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the good news of your salvation. When you believed, there's that word again, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's turn to toward the end of chapter one. It says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Messiah from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. This is a statement about Messiah becoming king far above all rule and authority. In other words, Messiah is not just one King among many. He rules over all Kings power and dominion. He's the King of Kings and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also the age to come. Remember Jesus's words in the great commission, That he would be with them to the end of the age. Not just this age, but the age to come. The age of the Messiah. The age of Messiah's reign. And God placed all things under his feet. Remember Matthew 28, verse 18. It says that all authority has been given to Christ. Okay? Here it is. God has placed all things under his feet. Things that are under your feet are things you have authority over and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When we fast forward to chapter 3 of Ephesians, we find out what this mystery is that was finally revealed. The mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. So what is this mystery that Paul talks about in chapter one? It's that Gentiles can come into the kingdom. They can be full participants all the way down to now the promises of Israel are applied by Paul to the church as well, that he, they will be among his people. All right. And that Jesus is the King of Kings. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. This is the gospel to make plain to everyone, the administration of this mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is that the Gentiles can now be full partners In God's covenant community or in his kingdom, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Messiah, Jesus, our Lord. So again, there's that kingly language that he is ruling and reigning. So here is another way of thinking about the kingdom, the body of Christ. We're also children of God. For those who are led by the spirit are the children of God. In Romans 8, 14, uh, verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So all of these things together are kind of collating really quickly some, some data from the epistles that the church, the kingdom, the, that we are a family, that we've been adopted. These are all different ways of kind of saying the same thing that, uh, Jesus is ruling and reigning, that he's over all authorities and powers He's declared to all powers that he is the king of kings and that we are his people and that this great mystery has now been revealed. This is part of the good news that Gentiles can be a part of the kingdom. Now, let's begin to collate all this data and then I'm going to close it out for today. The good news that the apostles taught was the same as Jesus. God had finally sent the long-awaited king and kingdom through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And everywhere they went, they proclaimed and demonstrated the good news that Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And because Jesus rose from the dead, someday the citizens of God's kingdom will also rise from the dead and rule and reign with Jesus forever. God's kingdom was no longer something that you would be born into. And it was no longer exclusively for the Jews. Instead, the pathway to becoming a citizen in God's kingdom was through repentance from your sins, believing in Jesus as the Messiah, dying and rising with Jesus through baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit. And the the really remarkable and powerful message of the book of Acts is that every citizen in God's kingdom has just as much of the Holy Spirit as the 12 and as the 72. Since Pentecost, all of us are invited into the kingdom of God. As Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of God is like a king who throws a big banquet. And he even goes out into the streets to invite the most unlikely guests to the party. What we see in Acts chapter 10 is that the Gentiles are now among the unlikely guests. You can be a poor widow, a slave, a centurion soldier. And all can be full participants and citizens in God's kingdom. As long as you meet the requirements for citizenship, which is repent and believe in Jesus as the Messiah. All right. I want to wrap it up today really quick with the one statement in the gospel of John about the kingdom of God. John doesn't record, um, really, he doesn't preserve the sayings of Jesus about the kingdom of God, but he does preserve one key private conversation about it. And I want to close out today with that is John chapter three. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you're doing. If God were not with him. Jesus replied very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Notice this, this is the only time in the Bible where this this phraseology being born again happens. And yet in our vocabulary as Americans it is you know a quick go to you know so often for what we're talking about but in 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 the New Testament this is the one and only mention of this phrase born again and it's in a private conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. I think this is a foreshadowing to what we saw in the book of Acts on Pentecost. Pentecost. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised. Am I saying you must be born again? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nic- Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. He He felt like. Nicodemus should really understand what he's talking about with being born again for God. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So see, this is what I want you to see here in John three. Some progressives will tell you that the language of sin and salvation, forgiveness of sins was not really part of Jesus's message. They'll, they'll try to turn the gospel into a social gospel and only look at the deeds of Jesus. What I want you to see here in John chapter three is Jesus is explaining how to come into the kingdom of God. And how does he say to do that? It's that you're believing that he is a Messiah, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they do not have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I want you to go compare this passage To Peter's call to action on Pentecost. What does he tell him to do? Repent, believe, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. All right. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of life. Light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What I want you to notice here is that against the progressives who try to hijack the kingdom of God to say it's a social gospel, that's all that it is. I want you to notice Jesus teaching to Nicodemus of how to come into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. What does this entail? It entails believing that Jesus is the Messiah. That is the pathway to having your sins be converted, to be forgiven. Jesus's point, another way of saying it here, is you must be converted. You must become part of the covenant. It's the same point that John the Baptist was making that we saw last week. In Matthew chapter three, this is where we started everything where John the Baptist was preaching and he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. All right. So he's basically telling the religious leaders and the Jews, if you want to have fellowship with God, you have to repent. You have to get converted. You have to come and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This would have been a very confusing and a a bit of a revelation for those who had the ears to hear it. This is a tough teaching because what we see through all of this is that there is so much story behind the good news. There's the story of Israel. There's the story of the Messiah. There's the the understanding of Jesus as king. There's the understanding of him conquering death and sin and the devil. And there's the understanding of, of how we come into the covenant is through repentance and belief. But also the signs of it, of water baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are all themes that we will have to unpack next week as we begin to consider how do we translate all of this into a gospel presentation? How do we begin to take all of this data that we've collected and begin to think about, all right, how do I present the good news to the people around me that isn't just the truncated American gospel of believe in Jesus, say this magic prayer and you'll go to heaven. We don't see that here. That's not the picture that, that should be emerging for you. So we're going to continue to unpack this next week. We're going to continue to look at how to translate these very big ideas into a gospel presentation. So thank you for watching. I hope you'll continue the journey with us as we continue to unpack and unfold evangelism and really understanding what the good news is before we start proclaiming it. Thank you so much for watching. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.